Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king and the king said to them, I have had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your house shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out. And they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. This is the word of the living God. And we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord, help us now, we ask. To glean truth from your word, the voice of Christ to his people by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. How are believers to think about dire or distressing situations? In the Christian life, how are we to think about those moments? And they're few in the life of most people. Those moments that seem catastrophic, distressing, quite dire That was a moment that Daniel and his three friends found themselves in. Our text tells the beginning of the story in Daniel chapter 2. The Hebrew people had been crushed because they broke covenant with God. This is some 550 years or so before Christ is born. Put on flesh and walk among us and live a perfect life that he might be the savior of all who come to him, Jew and Gentile alike. But the Hebrew people have been crushed, their temple wiped out, exiles in a foreign land. But a select few have been taken and gathered in to the band of that pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar. And he has a dream. This is the Nebuchadnezzar that is insecure, self-centered, immature, prideful, and is quite possibly, as one commentator called him, a despot. He has a dream and he's troubled by it. And he wants to know its interpretation. And as we've heard read, he says, someone needs to tell me the dream and the interpretation or I will kill every one of you. And that includes Daniel. 
the Hebrew, part of the covenant people of God of old, who now finds himself in exile. And this is quite possibly, aside from the crushing of his city, the crushing of his people, being taken into exile, this is quite possibly the most dire or distressing moment in Daniel's life. He is about to die. How are believers, followers of the living God, who knows all things, who rules all things, how are we to think about such situations? Perhaps we can glean several things from this chapter that will answer our question. And we see in this chapter what Daniel does, what God does, and we even see how Christ is proclaimed in the midst of a dire and distressing situation. The first thing that we see in answer to our question is that a dire situation is a call to pray. It's a call to pray. Look what happens next. Verse 13 says, The decree goes out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Verse 14, Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret. So that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. You remember in chapter 1, we're told that Daniel had been gifted by God with the ability to interpret dreams. It was God's gift to Daniel. The text continues in verse 19. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for his wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. You see, in this distressing situation, in this dire situation, Daniel treats it as if it's a call to prayer. He goes to the living God to plead with him for mercies. As we've already seen, the psychology of Nebuchadnezzar was quite twisted, and we'll see that it continues that way throughout this book. He is quite possibly the strongest and most powerful man in all the world at this time. Thinking he can do what he will, he begins to slaughter his astrologers, his wise men, and Daniel prays. Notice a few things as we think about Daniel praying. Verse 14 says, with counsel and wisdom, Daniel begins to act. This is wisdom that has been forged through a lifetime of walking with the living God. We're not to assume that Daniel is an old man at this point. But Daniel, as we've already seen, knew the ways of God. He wanted to honor God. 
And verse 17 tells us that Daniel had been given the ability by God to interpret dreams. So chapter 1. In chapter 2, verse 18, we see what Daniel's plan is. It's not often our plan, is it? You see, sometimes when distressing situations happen, when difficult moments come, we make plans and then we pray. Daniel prays and then he makes plans. Verse 18 of our chapter says that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven. Now, if you continue to read this book, which by God's grace we will, we'll see that Daniel was a regular man of prayer. Turn over to chapter 6 and verse 10. It'll be perhaps many weeks before we get here, but Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, listen to this. Another dire and distressing situation is about to happen. And in Daniel 6, verse 10, we read this about Daniel. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Daniel was a man who when he encountered difficult and distressing and dire situations, prayed. Sinclair Ferguson commenting on this chapter says this, What Daniel knew in secret prayer and praise to be true, he was not ashamed to say to the face of the king, God removes kings and raises up kings. Isn't that interesting? The praise on his lips in prayer to God in verse 21 is exactly what Daniel is going to say to the pagan king. There was no nuance. There was no making it palatable for pagan king Nebuchadnezzar. No, he prays, God answers, he thanks the living God, saying what is true of the living God. God, you are the one who removes kings and raises up kings. And that is about to be what Daniel is going to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar. And notice one other aspect of Daniel's prayer in verse 23, the latter part. One of the things that Daniel prays is prayers of thanksgiving that God answers prayer. Notice what he says. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we ask of you. How much do we have as the people of God? To thank God for simply for the ways that he's answered prayers that we've prayed in the past. That's what Daniel's doing. This dire situation for Daniel was a call to prayer. But there's another aspect in this text that helps us to answer the question, what are we to do or think about when dire or distressing situations come our way. It's a call to pray, but secondly, it's a time when God can be glorified. It's a time when God can be glorified. I I just want to read the next passage and listen closely. We'll highlight all of the times that God is praised. Daniel finishes his prayer, and we pick up in verse 24. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. 
The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. And then listen to this dream, boys and girls. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while you were on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know what the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching and behold a great image. Picture this dream. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its bellies, belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. There's the dream. Verse 36. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven... He has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron in as much as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain. And its interpretation is sure. You see, this situation for Daniel was a moment, a call to prayer. Down on his knees, he went with his friends. God had gifted Daniel with the ability, the supernatural ability to interpret dreams. 
And this dire and distressing situation becomes a time when God can be glorified. Just listen to these phrases of what I just read. Verse 19. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Verse 28. But there is a God in heaven. Verse 29. He who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. Verse 37. For the God of heaven has given you. Verse 44. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Verse 45. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass. And then in verse 47, we read these words. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords. And the revealer of secrets, since you could reveal the secret. See, this is a time when God is praised. Praised by Daniel. Praised, perhaps half-heartedly at this point, by a pagan ruler of the world. But this distressing situation is a time when Daniel prays. And it's a time when God was glorified. Do you think about the difficult situations that you're in in such a way? That there are moments for you to fall on your face before the living God and to cry out to God for mercy. In these situations, is it in your mind that God can be glorified through this? Yea, that God will bring glory to His name however this unfolds. And that the ways of this world will be seen for what they are. A puny thing in comparison with the living God. Look at verse 27 and 28. Right before Daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar the dream, he says this. Daniel answered in the presence of the king. And you have to remember, this is probably the strongest king of the world. With Servants, members of court. This would be the greatest of White Houses in the world at this point. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. It's a bold thing to say. This whole enterprise you've got, King Nebuchadnezzar, about finding out truth, it's not going to work. What he says next. But, but, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Daniel demonstrates the insufficiency of worldly wisdom. And God is praised as the true and living God. And of course, if many of us were in this story, verse 30 would look a little bit different. Because in verse 30, Daniel doesn't do what we are tempted to do so often. And that is take glory for something that really is the work of God. Look what Daniel does in verse 30. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. I don't know about you, but it seems like at this point in human history, Daniel has more wisdom than anyone living. He tells the ruler of the known world a dream and its interpretation. What does he do? 
this wasn't because of me, O king. You see, Daniel takes this situation as a call to prayer and he takes it as a time when God can be glorified. And God is. Now, as we'll see in the next few chapters, God is not done revealing his glory and his might and his power and his majesty to to King Nebuchadnezzar. But for this time, the court of power of all the known world references the true and living God as the way of wisdom. But you know, there's a third thing in our text. Perhaps there are many more, but there's a third thing in our text that helps us to think about what it's like as a follower of God to be in a distressing situation. Not only is it a call to prayer, not only is it a time when God can be glorified, but thirdly, it's an opportunity for Christ to be proclaimed. Now you may think, the name Jesus, the name Christ is nowhere in this passage. Not by name. But he is the strong mountain that is this passage. You see, this is an opportunity when God is actually going to cause the Christ that is to come and his kingdom to be proclaimed. How so? Well, you remember the interpretation of the dream, don't you? There is this statue. There are four kingdoms. And then there's going to be a kingdom that comes and crushes all the others. A kingdom that will come during the time of these four kingdoms. But it will not be a kingdom of men. It won't be made with human hands, as the dream says. It will be a kingdom that will last forever, and it will utterly crush all of these other kingdoms. Well, how is Christ proclaimed in this? Well, briefly, we need to understand just a little bit about this statue. Verse 38 tells us who the first kingdom is. Look at verse 38. You remember the head of gold. That's the first kingdom. At the very end of verse 38, the scriptures say, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, you are this head of gold. There is absolutely no doubt whose kingdom this is. This is Babylon. Babylon of old, run by Nebuchadnezzar. You are the gold kingdom, O king. But then interestingly enough, strikingly enough, in verse 39, Daniel has the audacity to say to the ruling king of the world what he's already praised God for. But after you shall arise another. Now this is the king that was going to kill anyone who simply couldn't tell him a dream. And now Daniel has the audacity, the gall to tell him, you're going to end. There's a kingdom coming after you. Well, who is that king? God is already declaring the days after King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 38 tells us that the gold kingdom is the Babylonians. Verse 39 tells us that there is a silver kingdom. There we read of it. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. So it won't won't be as expansive as yours, but yet it will rule in your place. Who is that? Well, that's the Persians. And we're going to read about the Persians towards the end of this book. And in some of the books of the end of the Old Testament. 
But then there's a bronze kingdom, verse 39. Then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. What kingdom was there that ruled over all the known earth after the kingdom of Babylon and the kingdom of the Persians? Well, it was the Greeks, headed by Alexander the Great. You see, this statue is not a picture of things that are going to come in our time, brothers and sisters. This is, this is not about the end times in 2022. For one thing, we're already told who the Babylonian head of gold is, Nebuchadnezzar. For another thing, by the time we get to the end of the interpretation, Daniel reveals that the fifth kingdom, which will not be carved and made by human hands, will come during the days of these kings. Daniel, the people of God are receiving a message of hope as a pagan king is told a little bit about the future. Now, how does that get us to Christ? Well, the bronze kingdom, Greece, Alexander the Great, He's the third. And then there is this kingdom, which is very strong. The foundation, if you will. It, it is like iron. Let's look at verse 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. What kingdom shatters everything? After the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks. A kingdom that was existing at the same time when the living God sets up a kingdom which shall have no end. Well, it was the kingdom of Rome. The iron clay kingdom is the kingdom of Rome. And we get a little bit of history about Rome, don't we? Tough as iron, and yet there's some clay. It splits in pieces. Does not the Roman kingdom, during its long reign, often split into various parts? Yes, it does. Verse 43, as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another. Doesn't Rome make it all over the place and take over, but not necessarily always win the hearts of all the people that it adopts forcefully? What about Christ, preacher? What about Christ? You said that this is a dire situation. Daniel is called to pray. It's an opportunity for God to be glorified, but you said it's it's a moment where Christ is going to be proclaimed. I've got the statue, but what about Christ? Verse 44. And in the days of these kings, so we're given the time frame. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And that kingdom shall not be left to other people. Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to amass a great kingdom, but eventually Cyrus is going to take it. Eventually Alexander the Great's going to take it. Eventually the Caesars of Rome are going to take it. This kingdom will never be given to anyone else. Can you imagine Daniel? <laughs> Telling the king of the known world, this lowly Hebrew in exile, That the living God says that his promises to set up a kingdom are going to come to pass. Well, verse 44 continues, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands 
and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. So this is Daniel receiving a vision about what was going to happen in the next 500 years, all before Christ comes and is placed in a manger in Bethlehem. Putting on our flesh and dwelling among us, living a perfect life, sinless to the end. Going to the cruel cross where Roman guards would nail his hands to a cross. And yet the nails were not what held him there. It was his desire to honor the will of God, to save a people from every nation and tribe and tongue from their sins. What kind of kingdom is this in verse 44? Well, it's set up by God. It will never be destroyed. It shall not be left to other people. And it shall consume all these kingdoms and stand forever. Now, the dream doesn't go past Rome. Christ comes. He's crucified, dead and buried, and he's raised on the third day of his kingdom. And his truth continues to march on. This kingdom of Christ is infiltrating even today the kingdoms of this world. The gospel of Christ is spreading. It is moving forward at quite an expansive rate. The last 2,000 years have been marked, centered in the history of one singular person, Jesus of Nazareth. The message of this king continues forever and ever and ever. There is no despot today. There is no dictator today. There is no freely elected ruler today over whose kingdom here on earth there will not be people who belong to a greater and better kingdom. And he's pictured as a stone. Verse 34, verse 45. This is a picture of Christ and his kingdom. And of course, elsewhere in the New Testament, Acts 4.11, for instance, Jesus is pictured as a, a stone there, a cornerstone. Here it's this stone. It seems small compared to this statue full of the kingdoms of this world, and yet it becomes a mighty mountain. The Puritan Matthew Henry writes this about the stone. Quote, the stone cut without hands represented the kingdom of Jesus Christ, which should be set up in the world in the time of the Roman Empire and upon the ruins of Satan's kingdom and the kingdoms of this world. This is the stone cut out of the mountain without hands, for it should be neither raised nor supported by human power or policy. No visible hand should act in the setting of it up, but it should be done invisibly by the Spirit of the Lord of hosts. This was the stone which the builders refused, because it was not cut out by their hands, but it has now become the headstone of the corner. The cornerstone. One of the glories of belonging to the kingdom of King Jesus is that you're never, ever, ever a citizen in a kingdom that depends on the frailty of sinful human beings. And of course, we read in the rest of the scripture, don't we, in various places of this kingdom, as we close just a smattering of verses, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, hear these words from verse 25, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And then listen to the strength of this king. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Our king rules over a kingdom that even puts death 
to death. Revelation eleven fifteen, kingdoms of this world becomes have become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. I'm talking about the mountain that this little stone turns into in Daniel chapter two. Who can forget Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 and following? What have we come to? We have come to a mountain. What mountain? Mount Zion. The place where the living God dwells. See, this dire situation for Daniel, which potentially would have had many of us weeping like babies in the corner, uncertain about what to do, was for Daniel a call to pray. It was a time when God could be glorified, and it was a time that Christ was going to be proclaimed. But you see, Daniel makes it clear that what happens in this text wasn't really about Daniel. It was about the God who gives hope. And this God gives hope in the face of Jesus Christ. See, friend, you're facing a dire situation. I'm facing a dire situation. I'm miserably and hopelessly separated from the living God because of my sins. But he has sent a king that rules over a kingdom. That takes in the worst of rebels and enemies from foreign lands. And purchases them by the blood of the king. Christ died for sins. And he stands at the corridor of history and says, anyone who will have me can have me. Come and I will give you life. I've shed my blood for sinners. I was raised. Trust me by faith. Well, at the end of our text, it appears that Nebuchadnezzar is deeply impacted by all this because verse 46 says this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king. And he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Seems like Nebuchadnezzar is ready to be converted. But as we'll see soon, The very next verse says this. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. Worship me, he says. Friend, perhaps in the most dire and distressing of situations, the Holy Spirit of the living God will reveal to you that that's been what you've been doing your entire life. Worshipping yourself. But he has sent his son to redeem sinners. Perhaps you can come to Christ this day as the king whose kingdom will never end. Let's pray. Almighty God, help your people, we pray. We pray that the kingdom of Christ that is yet unknown to some even in this room will be made known today in the preaching of the word and in the internal call of the Holy Spirit. Help us, we ask, in our own dire situations to remember your King, His kingdom, the King that you have set on your holy hill, and to offer prayers and petitions to Him all the day long for mercy, for He rules and reigns. 
In Jesus' name.